You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We're in Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, as we've been marching through, we've got Naomi. You remember Naomi and her family were living in Bethlehem, Judah, where Jesus was born. And then because of the famine, she went to Moab. And there in Moab, her husband Elimelech died. Her two sons married local girls, Moabites. And then they both died, the boys, and left these three widows. Naomi and Ruth, who has pledged herself to Naomi and to her people and to her God, most importantly, have gone back to Bethlehem, Judah, to find a new life for themselves as the famine has ended. And there you remember that Ruth has stepped out in faith and gone to look for a field in which she might find favor. And she happened upon the field of Boaz, and he was very gracious with her, wasn't he? And he told those, uh, those reapers to leave a little extra for her as she would glean behind them. And she was given abundance and found favor. And then she goes home and reports to Naomi all that had happened in that day. And Naomi was just blown away because she sees God's hand in this. And no longer that bitter, but the bitterness turning to better. Amen. And so we continue here now in Ruth chapter 3 as Naomi is going to be the matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. I want you guys to notice as we're going through here that Naomi is really a type of Israel. Remember her family, she and her family went, you know, back into the backwards in the same path that the Israelites had come. And, And there, just like the Israelites were in Egypt and they, uh, you know, they multiplied there but became slaves and had affliction and God delivered them. There, Naomi is also experiencing affliction, but now she's come back the same route that the Israelites took as they came into the promised land. And now as she comes back into the promised land, she's finding these blessings. But she doesn't come alone. She brings Ruth, as we've mentioned, who is a type of the Gentile church. She's not an Israelite, but we find that she's being accepted in and welcomed, grafted in, just like you and me as Gentile believers would be grafted in to Jewishness. And then Boaz, of course, the type of Christ, the kinsman redeemer that we've, we've talked about and will continue to talk about the one who comes along to rescue and to save. Now, as we get into this chapter, well, let's just read now. Let's just get into this chapter. Ruth chapter three, verse one, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? And so Naomi is, is wanting to seek security. This word in the Hebrew can also be translated rest for her daughter-in-law, 
Ruth, her young daughter-in-law who sacrificed so much, she wants her to find rest, and she's going to go on and suggest that she marry Boaz, and it's important for us to realize that this is what the godly home should be, a place of rest, a sanctuary from the storm, and uh, let's strive within our own families to make that home, that place of rest, that place of security, instead of a place that we all want to flee from. You know what I'm saying? And so by the grace of God, let's do what we can to make it that place. And so she seeks a a security or rest for Ruth that it may be well with her. Verse 2, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? So here she's beginning to allude to this kinsman redeemer, this close relative whose duty it would be to come in to the rescue of the family. And so she says, in fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So she knows what's going to be happening that night in the evening when the breeze kicks up, they're going to be winnowing. Now, I took some time to look into threshing and into winnowing and into sifting because these are activities that happen at the time of harvest in ancient times in Israel. Of course, they happen now today as well, but in our society, we tend to use big machines, but not everywhere in the world. In some places, they're still doing it like this. But it's important because it really opens up a lot of the scriptures to look at this. And so one thing I want to mention is that this would be around the time of a Jewish festival that was explained in Leviticus chapter 23 as Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks because it was to happen seven weeks and one day after Passover. Now, seven weeks in one day is 50 days. So this would be Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days after Passover. It was also called the Feast of First Fruits, as the people would celebrate the wonderful blessings of God that they had received from their crop. And of course, at this time, They're really celebrating because they're just coming out of a long famine that at least lasted 10 years. And now they're getting bumper crops and they're harvesting and they're laboring and God is pouring out the blessings, the blessings. So there's this connection here. In fact, in Leviticus 23, 22, there's mention of not forgetting to leave some behind. Don't be greedy, but leave some behind for the poor. So it's reiterated there in the scriptures as God is speaking of celebrating this feast of Pentecost. Of course, we know in New Testament times on the day of Pentecost, as the church was being birthed, there was this great harvest of believers on that day as 3,000 people got saved And the Holy Spirit had come down. Remember on the day of Pentecost, what a marvelous day. And this celebration of harvest and ingathering and fruitfulness. Now, a little bit of technical, the way that they would prepare the grain before it could be ground to flour. 
um, there was, first of all, there was threshing. Threshing was the process of removing the kernels of grain, like wheat or barley, from the stock and the husk. And this could be done by hand, where they would use a stick and they would beat it out. If it was a small quantity of grain, they could do that way. Gideon was doing this in secret, remember? So that, so that the, I can't remember who they, the Midianites wouldn't come and take it from him. And there were other places in scripture where this is described. Or they could take animals like donkeys or oxen and they trample over the wheat. This would be larger quantities of wheat and they go back and forth and their hooves would beat out the grain from the stalks. Or sometimes they would also have a sled that would be dragged behind a donkey or an ox and that sled they would bore holes into it, the wood and then they would put pieces of rock or metal in there and it would, it would grind out the stalks and the, the, the husks so that it would separate that grain kernels from the straw and the chaff. And then after they did this, they had a pile of a mix of all of it, as you can imagine, you picture after that was done. And so they would have to winnow it, separate. And winnowing uh, implies wind. So they would, they would want some wind, some breeze, and then they would, it doesn't take much because that straw is really light and blows easily and they'd throw it up in the air and then the wind would blow it and the kernels would drop straight down and begin to form a pile which they could gather. And so that was the winnowing process. Now some of those larger pieces of straw would blow and then land in a pile nearby. And then the really small ones would blow even further. And that was really the chaff. And they would take that straw that was left over and they could use it for a couple of different purposes. They could use it for brick. Remember Pharaoh said, uh, more bricks, less straw. They would take the straw and it would make those bricks stronger if they mixed it with the mortar. And so uh, there was that. Or they could take that, those, that straw and they could use it for fuel to burn uh, and to fuel their ovens and things. Lastly, it could just be ignored and left to blow in the wind. And I'm telling you all this because there's lots of scriptures, you know, that helps us to picture what they're, what they're doing in this story, but also there's so many scriptures that will be opened up if you understand this process. Now, the final step that's mentioned or that they did was sifting. They would use something called a sieve, and it was about, you know, two or to three feet in diameter, circular, wooden support that was uh, three to five inches tall around the edges, and then there was woven basket at the bottom with small holes in it, and they would take that thing and they would put that grain that has been both threshed and then winnowed, and they would stick it in the sieve and it was always the women that did this because they were super skillful at it. Either that or just men are lazy. And, uh, and they, they would shake it. They would shake it, and it would, as they shook it, it would bring the, the larger you know, pieces of, uh, of chaff to the top, and they could then glean it off the top and, and you know, uh, put it to the side, throw it away. But there's also little pebbles and things that would be mixed in. And so 
with their skills, they would separate the grain and it would actually appear in a pile on one side of the sieve. And then the small unwanted stuff and the pebbles and things would appear on the other. And they would physically remove those impurities. And once they were really happy with it, then they can go and grind it into flour and make their bread. They would also take this grain and store it away in silos and things, whether it be underground or above ground, things like that. Hopefully that gives you guys kind of, you know, a picture of what's happening here as we go through this story, but also in a lot of other parts of scripture. Remember that Jesus said to Peter, Satan seeks to sift you like wheat. Sift you like wheat. And now you can picture that, right? The sifting and the the separating, bringing up his junk. And isn't that what Satan does? Anyway, that's a different teaching. So, Uh, just an example of elsewhere in the scripture and you'll find it all over the place and it's just great to know that. Um, So let's go on now to verse three as we get into our story here. And so she's, uh, Naomi is telling Ruth, go to the threshing floor tonight, that hard space where they're gonna put the the sheaves down and they're going to separate the, the wheat from the chaff and go there, she's saying, because that's where Boaz is going to be this evening. That's when the breeze would come up. Verse three, therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Well, Naomi knows what would be a good way to attract a man, you know, wash up, smell good, go down there. Verse four, then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. You see, Ruth is taking on an attitude of humility and an attitude of submission. And she's doing this with Naomi as Naomi is giving her instruction of what to do. She's going to do it. But also the very act that she's going to do here of lying down at the feet of Boaz is an indication to him that I am your maidservant. I am here to bless you. I'm here to submit to you. Isn't that what the scriptures says, that wives should submit to their husbands? And so she's surrendering to his leadership, and that is what she's communicating as she lies down at his feet. This is also clearly communicating a proposal of marriage to him, (laughs) saying, take me as your wife. Take me as your wife. It's a reminder of his duty as a kinsman redeemer. She's saying, you're a close relative. And don't forget the scriptures that you're to take care of me, but she's doing it and me and Naomi, your relative, carry on the name, be the rescuer. But she's doing it in such, in a very humble way. She's not being entitled and she's not saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to do according to the scriptures, now marry me. (laughs) It's just, a really neat way of doing this. Now, this, is, this thing is not rushed, right? They've been in communication over several weeks. They would have seen each other and interacted with each other during this time of laboring uh, for the harvest. And they would have been in a group setting. Certainly, they wouldn't have been alone together and, and gone on dates. 
but this is uh, something to be learned here about courtship because, you know, when we're getting to know somebody and we're wondering, is this the right person for me? As we've mentioned before, it's easy to put on a show for a time, you know, especially one-on-one. But if you can get that person regularly in a group situation and you can notice how they interact with other people, how do they treat other people in the group? That's probably how they're going to end up treating you down the road as you get to know them better. And so just a good lesson to learn from this is, hey, uh, you know, get to know people in group settings. And, you know, in our culture, maybe our concept of dating isn't the right concept. Maybe we should think more of a courtship thing, of a, hey, this is the purpose of this is to get to know each other for the purpose of marriage. And if it's not going to be marriage, then what are we doing here? <laughs> you know? And move from that. So uh, I thought that was um, a neat little tidbit that we can pull out of here. Give it time. Observe how that person treats others. Let's go on to verse 6 now. It says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. So, you know, he's totally stoked. This is a bumper crop. We've harvested it. We've worked all day. And I have a heap of grain. And so now I'm celebrating, I'm eating with people, I'm drinking, and now it's time to just lay down content on the threshing floor on top of his pile of grain. Now this isn't like, you know, the the dragon smog in his lair, you know, hoarding his thing. But remember, this is the time of the judges. And this is when the Moabites and other people would come in and actually steal their grain after they did all the hard work. So he's laying there most likely to protect it. So he lies down here on his heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now imagine how nervous she would have been. Man, she prettied herself up. She has no idea if he's going to reject her or accept her. And she knows that she is basically saying, hey, I humbly ask you to take me as your wife. (laughs) And, uh, and then she just lays there. I doubt that she slept a wink. But Boaz is sleeping. He didn't even notice his feet were, was uncovered. And then it says in verse 8, Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. You know, if he was there protecting the grain, and then something happened, he heard a noise or whatever, his feet got cold suddenly, <laughs> you know, I don't know, he gets startled, oh, what's going on, you know, is someone going to take my grain or what, and then he, he turns himself, and, and there a woman was lying at his feet, Whoa, what's going on here, there's a woman at my feet, in verse 9, and he said, who are you, so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant, And as he's rubbing the sleep from his eyes, she says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Oh man, she wants me to marry her. (laughs) Whoa. Now this take 
your maidservant under your wing can also be translated, spread the corner of your garment over me. And it's very clear in, in, for the Hebrew people, this would be, hey, do your duty as the kinsman redeemer. Take me as your wife and take me under your protection. And so, gosh, when we think of this, there's some cool scriptures on this. Exodus uh, 19:14. We think of God as the kinsman redeemer for Israel and Jesus Christ our kinsman redeemer. But in Exodus 19:4 it says, "You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself." And then in Luke chapter 13 verse 34, it says, Oh, Jerusalem, this was Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered your, your children together as a hen does gather her brood under her wings? And you would not. You would not. And so here we have some scripture references that speak of the wings and what it meant here for uh, Ruth to be gathered under the wings of Boaz, under his protection and his care, his care. Just as a reminder that kinsman redeemer was to be the redeemer of the land or from slavery if, if somebody fell into hard times, had to sell themselves as a slave, the kinsman redeemer, the close relative would come in and buy them back, redeem them out of slavery, out of debt. The kinsman redeemer or the goel was to be the avenger of blood. If someone murdered your relative, it was your duty to go and avenge the murderer of blood. Uh, it was the kinsman redeemer's duty to continue the family name of a deceased relative, which was what we see happening here through marriage. And so Boaz would know exactly what Ruth was communicating here, that she's saying, Boaz, you're the kinsman redeemer, and I am asking you to step up and be our redeemer. You have the resources you have the ability, take me as your wife, take care of my mother-in-law, Naomi, redeem the land, and help us out in our poverty. And so, how is he going to respond? Dun, 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 verse 10. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. You see Boaz, you see his reaction to the whole thing? He's also very humbled by this gesture. He's very happy and excited, you know, but he didn't think that he was desirable. We don't know, you know, I don't know if he was a good looking guy or not, but apparently there was a big age, you know, difference. And he's saying, man, I can't believe you're choosing me, that you would be willing to go be with me. He may have thought early on about being the kinsman redeemer and that this would be his duty. But in his insecurities, perhaps he was thinking, oh, but she would never want to be with me. And here she is proposing. And there is definitely a sense of excitement here <laughs> as he speaks to her. 
This is a great attitude that Boaz has towards Ruth, and it's a great attitude that we should have towards one another. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And this is the attitude we see in Boaz. Boaz is prioritizing the Lord's will in their relationship. Question for us, what should be the priority in our relationships? What should be the, you know, coming back to kind of the dating and the courtship thing, and I know it doesn't apply to many of you. You're like, I'm married and I'm glad that's over. (laughs) You know, but people are going to come to you for advice, and who knows, maybe you are in that situation right now. And so it's important to prioritize, right, godliness, a godly character. Look for a godly man. Look for a godly woman. It's more important than the outward handsomeness or outward beauty. This is what will make for the kind of partnership that God has designed between a man and a woman to be a witness to the world, to co-labor together in being a light to the world. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.